What's going on? Welcome into the Monday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope everyone had a great weekend and hope the start of the week has been good to you. It's been good to us as we have another great guest for you on this Monday. Joining us now is Pelicans general manager Trajan Langdon. Trajan, how are you and the family doing right now? We are holding up well, Daniel. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, nice weekend, a little bit of rain, but other than that, the weather here in New Orleans has been fantastic through this quarantine. So just enjoying another beautiful day here today. This certainly is. Uh, besides, uh, obviously, the work that you continue to do, how are you and the family keeping busy at home? You know, trying to uh, just, we uh, came together and kind of created a routine, a schedule. Uh, my boys who are in third and sixth grade respectively are still having their online classes and assignments uh, and they kind of haven't missed a beat. So, um, you know, during the day they do their work and we try to hold them on task. And then in the afternoon we go out and get a little um, running in or biking in or some kind of activity. And, uh, we have a little basketball hoop up in our driveway. So they get their shots up. I rebound for them and put them through some ball handling drills and then we just kind of chill in the evening so we kind of try to stick to that routine and um, stay on task and stay productive as, as much as we can sounds like a solid plan that's for sure and speaking of productive plan um, talk about what you guys are working on right now as far as basketball ops is concerned I know everyone's still in limbo with the uncertainty of when and if the season would continue but also keep in mind there's the draft that potentially could be coming up here in the next couple of months so how are you and the basketball ops staff keeping busy during this time with projects and, and numerous things going on? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, a lot of time I've, I've spent on the phone, honestly. Obviously, I, I have uh, talks with Bryce and Graham, um, Todd Quinn are the two guys that oversee uh, our college and pro scouting staffs, respectively. Um, those two guys in Griff I'm on pretty uh, regularly with, um, just trying to get an understanding of, of what we want to do going forward. Uh, a lot of time I spend right now watching, reading scouting reports, watching a lot of film on the draft prospects, um, and just trying to understand uh, kind of how we're going to put together our top 45 right now and getting into our top 60. We're going to have a, we're kind of ahead of schedule right now. Uh, Bryson, our assistant GM, has done a fantastic job of kind of putting together a schedule for us leading uh, through the next like month, month and a half, and part of that is interviewing. Uh, senior prospects that we've done some of that on Zoom calls. And as soon as the underclassman list comes out, we'll start attacking some of those interviews um, as soon as we're allowed to. So that's kind of what's coming up um, soon. And uh, that'll, you know, there's a long ways away, but not much is going to change in terms of evaluating these prospects between now and the draft, just because there's no, there's no more games to watch. Um, there's going to be no more, there's going to be no Chicago, um, I don't know what it's going to look like in terms of getting draft prospects in our gym for pre-draft workouts. So I think we can get a lot of hay in the barn now, do a lot of work, and then uh, whatever additional info, just kind of tweak um, our uh, our top 60 at that point. But we are pretty busy, uh, but uh, it, it's been good so far. We've been able to get a lot of work done. How much has these face-to-face -face interviews with seniors been valuable to you and your staff? I know, obviously, game film and stuff is <clears throat> is part of the equation. Obviously, getting to know these guys is another. But with everything that's going on, and like you said, there's no Chicago and a combine and things like that. Um, does this change your approach to how you're interviewing uh, these prospects? 
No, I think uh, this past weekend would have been the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament where you have the top seniors. And so that's how we're kind of trying to track our schedules, trying to keep it the same. So we kind of went down the list of the guys that would have been there. Uh, some of them have already signed with agents. The agents are withholding them from these interview processes for now. So we're, we've probably got in eight to 10 interviews with guys so far. Um, I don't think anything has changed. Um, aside from being across the table from somebody, we're looking at each other in a camera, which is definitely different, but it gives you a better perspective um, for, the pers for the prospect than talking to them over a phone on a conference call. So uh, it's good to see their faces. It's good to, for them to see ours. Some of We've met some of them before because they've gone through, uh, some of them tested the waters last year. So uh, I still think it's great to have, you know, 25, 30 minutes to talk to these guys and go back and forth and get a, a better feel of who they are as people. David Griffin said a couple of weeks ago in the conference call that uh, you guys are one of the first to um, remove your staff or your scouts from uh, traveling to these conference tournaments when the NCAA tournament was still in limbo. So as far as your scouting mm -hmm. is concerned for protect the players and the games that you get to admit or see, you know, how much of that is done before the conference tournaments and how much are, are valuable are those NCAA tournament and conference games as far as evaluating the players that you might want to bring onto your team? Yeah, I think a lot of the work is done. Um, for me, especially, I use the conference tournaments as kind of a, a chance for me to see a lot of the guys for a second time and, and maybe some other prospects for a first time not as, um, not as high on our list. Uh, usually by the conference tournaments, I've already seen guys that I, we, we feel very strongly about. And it's a chance for me to see them in that kind of pressure-filled environment because it's the most important um, you know, month of the season when you go from conference tournament to NCAA play. But you, you really like seeing the conference tournament because sometimes you can see three guys, uh, a team play three times in three days. And you can see kind of the, uh, you know, how strong-minded these guys are. A lot of people on that third day will, you know, physically fold, and but how mentally tough they are to make the right decision and, and will their team to win. It's not the whole picture, but it is part of it, you know, in terms of mental and physical toughness um, and in a pressure-packed atmosphere as well. So uh, those are always fun environments to um, not only be a part of, but also assess talent. Uh, and it, a lot of times it's the last look that you get at a player. Some of these prospects don't make the NCAA tournament, so that conference tournament is the last look that you're going to get in live play before you're going to see them in an environment like a Chicago pre-draft or in your own gym for a pre-draft workout. And that's, you know, rarely do you get to see them five on five, maybe one or two games in Chicago, but the best you're going to get in your own gym is going to be three on three. And sometimes you're not going to be able to see them if they're too high or if their agents only want them to do one on all workouts. So um, it's definitely an important time. Um, and we're just going to have to deal uh, this year without that opportunity. Yeah, and it seems like the draft process is evolving so much, especially with one-and-done players, and now some players are choosing not to go to play overseas or not even choosing to go to college. Um, now there are some that are actually going to the G League and showcasing their talents there for one year before they commit into uh, the NBA draft. How much does that change things? Or do you see the G League being now a, a – you know, an impactful place for players to get their name out there if they decide not to go to college or overseas for a year. Yeah, it's really interesting. Honestly, this thing came about late last week um, with the league office and Sharif Abdul-Rahim overseeing it with the G League, um, with that kind of the G League path. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, it's a test case. It's something that they've talked about now for about a year, year and a half, and they're 
able to implement it with this next season. Um, I think it's actually going to work out really well for those players, being that who knows what's going to happen with collegiate athletics going into next season. If a lot of these schools are not talking about reopening till second semester, if that actually comes to fruition, what is that season going to even look like? Uh, I think a professional season will allow these players to uh, kind of get better and uh, really progress in terms of their skills and, and their development more than guys that might just be sitting at home if they're not allowed to go to school. So uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting development on who decides to go that G League path, which players just say, okay, I'm not going to go to school. I'm, I'm going to take the MBL route or the European route. Um, but it, it, it is something that's going to start changing the landscape of, uh, of athletics leading in from going from high school to, uh, to the, to the NBA level. We're talking with Pelicans general manager, Trajan Langdon. Trajan, I know this is a tough time for everyone um, dealing with this global pandemic. And I know everyone's trying to do what they can to kind of keep themselves sane right now. And I know sports is a big part of that. And I know you're part of the Pelicans playbacks and have been participating in these Pelicans rebroadcast, um, which will be exciting to see you guys back on here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but what have you learned about your team when watching these games? Obviously, you you have a, a good grasp on what this team is capable of, and you saw what they are capable of um, as we went into this hiatus. But has anything stuck out to you while watching this that's really been like, huh, you know, when you watch it over and over again, you can kind of see, you know, the progression this team has made from the beginning of the season, all the injuries and the losing streak, to where they were as the as the suspension of the season hit. Yeah, I mean, some of the games that I've been fortunate to be part of as the playback, um, obviously in preparing for um, the show, you get to watch several clips over and over and watch different quarters over and over. And it's been kind of fascinating the way uh, different guys stepped up at different parts of the season with the different injuries that we've had. Um, and you kind of see the team at, at different points of the season as well. And, and the games that, you know, that I was able to watch that are closer to the end, you kind of see a lot more um, confidence coming about uh, within our team. Guys have understood who they are. Guys have gotten healthier uh, and there's a lot more of a rhythm and understanding of, okay, this is, this is how we're going to approach this game. This is what the coaches want from us. This is my role on the team, which I think it happens with almost any team, but um, with the team that we had or we have with so many new players coming from different places, it takes time to gel and to come together and, and understand and, and chemistry just doesn't happen overnight. But I think, you know, by game 50, 40, 50, we started playing some really good basketball, understanding who each other was. But I think the common theme for us through the whole season was guys like each other. Uh, they played together. They've always wanted to win. It just didn't happen for some time. It didn't click for a while, but guys are competitive um, and they really wanted to win. And, and then they really believed towards the end of the season that they could and, and uh, the playoffs were definitely a goal for our guys. It wasn't just, well, let's see if we can sweep in. No, it was like, let's, let's go get this thing. Let's show that we're a playoff team. Um, and so I think even even now, guys have that on their mind and, and want to prove that uh, when when this, uh, when this we open back up and start back up again. Now, when you're interviewing draft prospects, you know, obviously, uh, David, and you have, have preached as far as culture and fit, not just talent, but also the person that you are. I mean, how much does that come into play knowing that you have such a young team that saw the chemistry grow throughout the first um, amount of games? You saw them, you know, really sticking together on and off the court. How much does finding that right guy off the court to join your team, um, how important is that just to not mess up the chemistry and, and making sure you're having the same type of guys 
um, as far as the will to win and the unselfishness and things like that when it comes to interviewing these prospects? It'll be a huge part. It'll be a huge part that we um, that we think about and and put in the mix every draft. Uh, and we did it last year with every person that we drafted. Um, obviously Zion at one, but then Jackson, Nikhil, Didi in the second round, they're all high character guys that love playing the game, competitive, work their butts off. That's exactly what we're going to be looking for in this next draft and the drafts to come. Um, but we have a group of guys that are very competitive. Um, the guys that are going to have, that are going to come in here we're, mentally are going to have to be ready. They're going to have to be tough. They're going to have to be strong minded. Um, because I think we have a group, if you fast forward a year, that's going to be ready to take a big step. And if uh, those whoever's not on board to do that, to sacrifice, to step their game up, uh, it's going to be difficult for those guys to survive in this environment. Cause I just think it's going to get um, more competitive and, and um, higher expectations every year. So we need to have guys with the, the mental fortitude and that will to be part of this group and, and, and push this group, not only in the games, but in practice every day. Uh, and that takes a, a special kind of person. And those kind of people are, are the ones that we're looking for. Well, you mentioned mental fortitude, because that brings me up to my last topic with you. And that's the last dance that aired last night on ESPN. Um, two parts of the 10 part documentary. And I think everyone in the world seemed like they were watching it, sports fans, non-sports fans. And it was pretty fascinating for me growing up during that age in the 90s where I was just getting into basketball. You were obviously at Duke and watching this dynasty unfold um, in front of your very eyes. But one just wanted to get your thoughts real quick on um, what did you think of the first two parts? Anything that surprised you uh, when watching the first two hours yesterday? Um, well, I, I knew there was some difficulty in that last year, but I don't, you know, I, I didn't know the whole backstory to it. With I knew there were some things with Phil and management, um, and I knew with Scotty and management, but uh, the whole backstory with things behind the scenes, I don't know how many people knew into, you know, the depths that it actually went. And it was a day-to-day kind of, um, you know, battle between the front office and, and the coaching and the players. And that's that's always difficult. That's why we talk about in our front office, it's extremely important to have um, similar thinking from ownership to front office to coaching staff to players. And if everybody is, is along the same lines of thinking, uh, it makes it a lot easier to be successful uh, but the fact that they were able to be successful and won a championship amid all that distraction and stress, I think shows um, even more what a what a great team uh, they they actually were and and, and why they were so dominant uh, and and one of the better teams, if not the best team in the history of, of the NBA. So um, that's what was interesting to me. Um, but for me, look, I. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, and people don't realize I had TBS and WGN were two of my two of the channels that we had mm-hmm. growing up. So I used to watch Mike from a young age. Um, so especially that 63-point game and some of those um, games when he had limited minutes, I was watching some of that as a youngster. So it's really cool kind of to flash back and kind of see the, the behind-the-scenes thoughts going into it because obviously as somebody who's 10, 11 years old, uh, you have no idea why this guy's not playing that much. And, you know, to see him come back after missing 60 games and actually score and do what he did in that first round against Boston is pretty fascinating. Were your two kids able to watch with you? I know you talked about how them going out and shooting hoops and playing ball. Obviously, they did not get to see as much Michael Jordan as they would like, if, if any. Um, how much would it mean to you if they were able to watch it with you and just kind of learn about the greatness of Michael Jordan? 
Yeah, it's really cool because, you know, they know the name. Uh, they've seen some highlights. But, um, you know, this generation, Kobe and not even Kobe, but LeBron is a guy. Like my 12-year-old, his favorite, his favorite player is LeBron. He respects Michael. But I think watching this, um, he can really understand who he was as a player, how he affected the game, how he affected his team. Uh, so he was locked in. My eight-year-old is kind of all over the place, but my 12-year-old was definitely locked in. Um, so it'll be fun to to share these uh, to share these last dance documentaries with him over the next month. Well, it was certainly exciting watching the first two. I know everyone will be tuned in for the next four Sundays or so with this. Um, Trajan, I really appreciate the time. I'm glad you are getting to spend some time with your kids because normally this would be a busy time. Hopefully, we are preparing for some playoffs right now and. We'll see what happens down the road, but I hope you and your family stay safe, and I appreciate you joining me today. Anytime. Everybody stay safe out there, and Daniel, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this, but uh, um, hopefully we can get back playing pretty soon and and see what we can do uh, making a run for the playoffs. There he goes. That's Pelicans general manager Trajan Langdon on today's podcast. We'll have one more podcast for you for this week, and that will be on Wednesday. And, of course, we're going to be talking about this documentary, The Last Dance, uh, for the next month or so, and it was a really big success last night. I know everyone was tuned in just looking at Twitter, including myself, besides the two minutes of power I lost last night in the middle of the storms. But nonetheless, um, it'll certainly be exciting to watch the rest of these, and we're going to get more talk on The Last Stance on Wednesday's Pelicans podcast, a roundtable discussion with some of the local beat writers that you enjoy reading from, and that is Andrew Lopez of ESPN.com, Will Guillory of The Athletic, and Christian Clark of nola.com and the times picky union advocate so we'll have a great podcast for you on wednesday discussing the last dance and hope you can join us as well that'll do it for today's pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. and until wednesday i'm daniel salerson have a great rest of your day